0: Before we start today's episode, I wanted to let you guys know that we are going to be doing a giveaway on Instagram. We have a couple of copies of I Forgot to Stay Sober by today's guest, J.T. Wahlberg. So be sure to head over to our Instagram page to find out more details at Recovery Survey. You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles.
1: You know, I've come to realize in six and a half years of being sober is if you're drunk all the time, you're numb. Definitely not the way that we should be dealing with our our mental health issues. You don't feel those feelings. Like, it's okay to feel those feelings. Just don't live in those emotions.
0: My guest today is named JT Wahlberg. He is an entrepreneur and the author of the book, I Forgot to Stay Sober, How I Nearly Died Kicking My Addiction to Alcohol. Welcome to the show, JT. Hey, Brett. Thanks for having me, dude. Absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to our conversation. We were talking a little bit before the podcast and and we started recording and I could definitely feel a vibe between us. We, we definitely have some, some chemistry. So I'm excited to see where this conversation is going to go. If you wouldn't mind just starting off by telling the listeners who you are and what you're about. So like you said,
1: entrepreneur author is where I start my sober journey. I've been sober for six and a half years now. Uh, I don't work a 12 step program, uh, I never did. I got sober in the dumbest way that you possibly can. I quit drinking cold Turkey and like the subtitle of, of the book that you just read there, Brad, I, I nearly died doing it. And now I'm just uh, trying to get the word out there that, you know, there's an al- alternate way to life. We, alcohol doesn't have to play such a central role in it. and And if you're going to redefine your relationship with alcohol, you can do it in such a way that it doesn't, wind you up in
0: the ER and almost dead. Like it did me. I would love to hear a little bit more about, about that story and, and the, the cautionary tale you're talking about. I don't want you to spoil too much in the book cause I want the listeners to actually read it. But if you could give us kind of a, a peek in, into that.
1: I guess the, 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 the quickie version of it is I drank my entire life, Brett from, you know, I got drunk about, you know, first tried alcohol nine or 10 got drunk for the first time 13 and it just played a central role in my life forever. And I couldn't honestly pinpoint a time specifically where I was like, okay, I've become an alcoholic. Uh, But like I said, six and a half years ago, uh, my best mate who was my business partner at the time, he had two different conversations with me and said, Hey man, I'm worried about you. And I think if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to die. So, I said, I'll get sober. I didn't research anything, didn't look up uh, any 12-step program, any inpatient facility, outpatient facility. I just said, I'm going to get really drunk. I'm going to wake up the next day. I'm going to be sober. I'll have a bit of a hangover. No big deal. Almost 70 hours later, roughly, I, uh, I was in the back of a cab taking myself to the emergency room because I was almost dead. Like when I got in the cab, the cab driver looked at me in the rearview mirror and he thought I must have been dead. And walked in and for the first time ever, that's when I said to uh, the triage nurse, I said, hi, I'm an alcoholic. I don't even know if this is real right now. Uh, I think I need some help. She asked me to take a seat. I said, "I, ma'am, I I don't think I can sit down because I don't think I'll be able to get back up. But four minutes later, right out of the movie scene, I was in a wheelchair into, a uh, ER room, IVs, fluids. Uh, I think that was lorazepam is what they put me on to stop me from shaking. And that was it. And then I had doctors uh, come in and tell me that I was lucky to be alive. They were going to do everything they could to keep me that way. And, and,
0: uh, now I'm here and I'm talking to you. Wow. That is uh, that's an insane story, man. That that's wow. Uh, I'm blown away by that. That's got to be a real eye-opening experience and I, I'm gr- I'm glad that you're bringing that up because I think a lot of people especially those that aren't in the recovery community kind of have that idea of like yeah, just stop. Just stop. You know, like it's that simple. They don't see they don't see it as more of a complex issue and they think that it's something that that we can just yeah, I'm I'm done. Okay, I'm good. So I'm I'm glad that you're bringing up that that point. And the caution that you know it might be a good idea to maybe get some help from from somebody else instead of just quitting on your own, especially with alcohol. I know some some other substances it might be safe or okay to just stop cold turkey, but if if you're using alcohol in large volumes, that it can definitely be a life threatening thing to just stop cold turkey.
1: Yeah, I learned the hard way for sure, Brett, and then doing some research after trying to figure out, you know, what exactly physiologically was was taking place in my body. I learned that, you know, alcohol is the only drug that if you withdraw from incorrectly can kill you because you become so dependent on it in so many different ways that once you take that out, your body, my body pretty much just started eating itself and shutting down all non-essential systems. Like when I came to motor control, and I'm sure you've heard delirium tremens, DTS, and all that. Like I was having those so bad when I was waking up in random places around my house, and I'd concussed myself because I was h- hitting my head so hard on against the floor, and it, it was pretty scary. And like you said, it common misconception, I think, because alcohol is so normalized in our lives. Like, well we all see it in every movie every tv show not every obviously brett but it's so prevalent out there that it i can drink i can have a couple relax after work no big deal. All of a sudden that becomes a bottle that becomes two bottles that becomes however many, and you're as dependent on it as as I was just to function throughout the day. Like I, I don't have that switch. My best mate that I mentioned, Mike, who I dedicated the book to, he has that ability to have one or two drinks and, you know, a glass of wine with dinner. I don't, I broke that switch off when I was like 17. Like you said, people think you can just, just quit. Oh, it's no big deal. Just quit. Well, if you quit, you're gonna end up like this dumbass here, and and almost dead.
0: So, how how long into your sober journey was it before you started writing the book, or was this something that you journaled through your experiences and kind of compiled it, or or what was the process behind writing the book?
1: Um, that's a great question, uh, and that's really something that I haven't thought a whole lot about. Right? So I would say I probably started putting thoughts on paper maybe two and a half years into sobriety. I just felt like it needed to come out, and I I started thinking like this. Like we said, this story needs to be told. This conversation around alcohol and wellness needs to take place more often. And it started off I was going to write it as fiction, but then I thought that was kind of cowardly. I guess if I didn't say that I went through this, then the message would be lost. It wouldn't be taken seriously.
0: I guess for me, I get, I can see where it would be difficult to be honest and, and write it from your perspective and not fictionalize it. I mean, here I am, I'm a year into this podcast and I just a few weeks ago recorded my own story. Here I am presenting everyone else's stories and, and giving them that platform to share. And and I had a guest on a, w- a while back and she was like, well, when are you going to share your story? And, uh, and I was thinking, I was like, man, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I I don't know. It's not that I'm I'm scared. It's not that I don't want people to know my story. I don't know. There's just something about like once I put it out there, then it's out there for the world. And, and so it took a while for me to get to that place where I was like, yeah, okay, I'm I'm okay with sharing my story. I'm okay with letting people know some of the struggles that I've been through as well. Uh, so I can definitely relate to to what you went through and and having to get to that point of like being okay with with sharing it and like owning up to to some of that stuff that we did, yeah, man, and
1: well, thank you for being so brave and putting your own story out there like it, like you know it's it's not easy at all, and you gotta go down in the basement into those the dark corners and you gotta unpack some some stuff that you don't want to go through again. Like I just finished uh, recording the audiobook and I hadn't reread any of my writing since my editor had sent some stuff back and was like, Hey, let's revisit this, you know, dig a little bit deeper here. And then when it went to my publisher, their editor sent some stuff back and I was like, Hey man, whatever you think is good is good. I I'm not strong enough to go, back to this. And then when I had to reread it for the audiobook, man, I was like I thought I thought I'll just read this like I'm reading somebody else's story. But it there was some stuff in there. I was just like, man, you know, you're a piece of shit. Like you did some terrible stuff. And now like putting it out there every day I have a conversation about it. It uh it doesn't get easier, but it gets a little more manageable.
0: I can definitely relate to to what you shared, man, like that. It's like this oxymoron of like when I first started this recovery journey, like I, I had this huge ego, but at the same time, like I just, I felt so worthless and, and I don't know, man, it was like this weird, like thinking so highly of myself at at some times at other times, just like no self-esteem, no self-worth, so I can I can definitely relate to that man for sure.
1: That low self esteem, that low self worth. It's funny because I I trick myself like in the book I read about things like my my drunk ego was in charge. So w- when I had those feelings, it was just pour more booze onto it, and everything will be fine. Which you know I've come to realize in six and a half years of being sober is if you're drunk all the time, you're numb definitely not the way that we should be dealing with our our mental health issues you don't feel those feelings like it's okay to feel those feelings just don't live in those emotions you know like and if you just keep pouring booze on it and other drugs as
0: well you're just hiding so in your personal experience what do you think the connection is between mental health and alcoholism or addiction because i've spoken with a lot of people and it seems like the majority of people that suffer with some type of substance abuse disorder also have a mental health issue that that they hadn't addressed.
1: I think the addiction part comes from
0: from fear, and a big
1: part of it is ego. I write a lot about that uh, in a book, and I've written a lot about that since. It's just we don't want to admit to ourselves that that there's a problem, and it and it you feeling numb is better than than feeling shitty
0: I think too a lot of people try to self-medicate and that's the the drugs or the alcohol is the solution that they have found and like you said it, it numbs and it takes away that pain and it makes it at least temporarily where we don't have to deal with those situations those feelings those emotions whatever it is that we're trying to escape from the substance can can allow us to to get out of that for sure for
1: sure dude and and you never get the same high as you did the first time you realized that that's what was happening and then we're just perpetually chasing it and everybody has this idea you know from film and and television and stuff that you know the alcoholic addict is you know this down and out person living on the street or something like that but in reality, it's our family, our friends, our neighbors, you know, it's everybody that looks just like us, but it's that fear that that's holding everybody back. And, you know, when you mentioned like my process going through writing a book, that was a big thing that we'll overcome. Like you said, you put that out in the world when you told your story on your podcast, you're owning it. You're overcoming that, that fear you know, there's no take backs and people are going to ask you questions. And honesty is, is the best way through. Like, you know, Winston Churchill said, if you're going through hell, keep going. You're not going to be there forever. Being courageous and telling your story isn't the absence of fear. It's recognizing that you're afraid and, and just getting it out there anyway, and, and overcome whatever it is like you know, telling your story isn't easy, but when I started to realize, you know, while I was writing early drafts that uh, this will help somebody. And my goal just became to help one person. And if that's all that was achieved, and then, then I won. Then if if one person read my book and redefined their relationship with alcohol, reached out to to their family and friends and said, hey, look, I think I need some professional help with this and didn't die because of it, then that's a win for me
0: going back to to what you said a second ago. I I think that misconception that we have, I don't know if it comes from society or or television movies, but that idea that an addict or an alcoholic is somebody that's living under the bridge that's panhandling. I think for at least for me, my own personal experience, I think that kind of helped prolong some of my suffering because I looked at my life and I said, well, I'm not homeless. I'm not on the corner begging for change. So I must not be that bad. I must not be an addict or I must not be an alcoholic because my life doesn't look like what the the picture that I have in my head of, of what that looks like. So I'm not, I'm not at that point yet. So obviously I'm managing it or I have this under control. It's not an issue. I still have somewhere to, to sleep. That's indoors. I still have a job that I show up to sometimes. Like I'm not, I'm not as bad as that person. And like comparing my life to other people.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. And I, I felt exactly the same way. Like the first conversation that my, my best mate had with me, I was like, you know, my ego drunk. I was drunk when he had when my drunk ego got fired up and he was like, well, I was like, well, I'm not destitute. You know, I'm a professional. I'm totally fine. And then that ego came into play. And, and like you said, you know, I, I, I'm not that bum living under the bridge, you know, not that that person doesn't need just as much help as someone like you or me or, or anybody else, but that's that picture that we have in our head. And that's why it's, it's scary how normalized alcohol is in our lives. And it's, you know, not just in North America, it's, it's everywhere.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think that's one of the things that I that I strive for is to try to help bring that message that, you know, not every addict, not every alcoholic looks the same. You don't have to look that certain way. You know, my my experience has been that if a substance is causing some kind of issue in my life, no matter what my life looks like, that I I want people to know that they can reach out for help. You don't have to wait until you overdose. You don't have to wait until You're on the street. You don't have to wait until you wake up in a homeless shelter. Like, you can still get help and, like, let people know that that there's hope and, you know, try to, I guess, shatter that idea that that we as a society have of of what it looks like to be an addict or an alcoholic. Because, at least from my experience, and, you know, I, I am a part of a 12 step fellowship, I see people all different types of people that come into the rooms, you know, professionals, you know, different, different races, different religions, all kinds of different sexual orientations. Like this thing affects everybody. You know, it's not just the bum on the street on the, on the corner. That's, that's begging for change. Like it affects everybody. Addiction doesn't care what you look like, where you work, what kind of career you have, what your childhood was like. It doesn't matter. Like, anybody can be affected by this. I well said, Brett. that that's amazing. You should write that down. <laughs> and
1: I, I agree. I feel the exact same way. Like the normalization of alcohol is so prevalent that we don't even know it's happening. There is not one positive property that alcohol has. Alcohol does nothing but negative things to us. If something was good for me, like alcohol I thought was, it wouldn't have tried to kill me when I stopped drinking. We have all these labels for all these other substances that are poisonous, and that's what alcohol is. It's a poison. But yet we don't have labels you know, on, on any alcoholic bottles, beverages, or anything like that. It's Wednesday wine night, Saturday for the boys all of these things, everything ends. with you had a rough day. Kids are stressing you out, have a glass of wine. All of these things contribute to what we're talking about and how, how quickly you can just, you can just slip. And all of a sudden the amount of energy that you're expending just to make sure you have enough booze and, and drink it takes over your life
0: what came to mind when you were sharing that is also that other, that other side of it, man, like nobody goes into it thinking, Oh man, I really want to be an alcoholic, but we also don't know ahead of time, like how our bodies are going to react to alcohol. Like I, I, I never planned on drinking every day continuously. I didn't ever plan on becoming an alcoholic, but that's what happened, man. And I don't know what it is in my, if it's like my brain chemistry or what it is that, that caused that man. But like that obsession and compulsion just set in, man. It was like, I gotta have this. Like, this is my answer. This is the cure. This is what I've been looking for. And like, all of a sudden, like my life now revolves around this. Like, I gotta get it. I can't stop. I gotta keep going, 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 going. And i I never planned on doing that, man. i I was just trying to have fun. I was just going, you know, have a couple of drinks with some buddies after work. And here we are.
1: It's like trickle, trickle, trickle flood. You know, and if when you're feeling good and you're drunk all the time, and my ego is telling me that I like myself better like this, then, like you said, you don't you don't see any of this stuff. And alcohol is so prevalent in our society that nobody also wants to bring it up because then everybody has to reflect on the role that alcohol is playing in their life. If somebody just says, Hey, Brad, I'm concerned about your drinking. They've, they're immediately going to start thinking about how much their own consumption. And then it's like, well, I can't say anything to Brad about how much he's drinking because then I'll be a hypocrite because I drink. So it's just this this crazy cycle of, you know, like, don't ask, don't tell. Hopefully that person doesn't die. And my my best mate saved my life by having those two hard conversations with me. You know, I, I can't thank him enough. It, it's now not just a duty or obligation, but it's my life's path now is to to have conversations with you and let your listeners know that. There's, there's a different way you can say, no, your friend shouldn't be pushing alcohol on, you You know, you got to hold up that mirror. The reason they're pushing that alcohol on you when you say, no, thank you is because they want somebody to drink with. If that person is truly your friend, then when you say no, that, that should be the end of it.
0: Another thing that just kind of came to mind is just like the, the situation where now you mentioned before we started recording that you guys had just gone into another lockdown and, You know, my fear is, you know, some of these effects that that we haven't thought of with this pandemic, man, of people being stuck at home, suffering from depression and anxiety, and now you're at home. The alcohol consumption is increased, at least from different studies and different things that I've read. Alcohol consumption is on the rise. Depression is on the rise. Suicides are on the rise, man. Like this is a recipe for disaster, And I'm just afraid that the long-term effects that this could have on our society, man, like there's no way of knowing how how many people are going to be affected by this. Yeah, it's scary. When uh, here in uh, Ontario, where I live, we have
1: the LCBO um, and you can maybe buy liquor. Uh, You can't buy liquor. You can buy wine and beer in, in very, very few grocery stores. When the lockdown first happened last March, they kept beer and liquor stores open. Like we have the beer store and the LCBO. And I realized early on, and I brought it up with a couple of people like, well, well these aren't essential businesses. Why are they not closed? Like you go know, up, there's lineups, and it's because so many people are dependent on alcohol that there have been so many more deaths. Because people couldn't get their drug and they would have died, so that that one point blew my mind. And and you're right. Like I don't I don't I think it'll be years before we realize the long term effects of of what this this lockdown is is doing for folks that suffer from addiction and and mental illness and, and stuff. I lost a friend last May. He's an addict, alcoholic. He relapsed and. Fell down, hit his head, and and died. And it was because he was—he's was a single guy. He was divorced. Uh, he had two kids. It was because, because of his alcoholism uh, and his addiction, is why he lost his job, lost his family. And then when the lockdown happened, he relapsed again. He'd only been sober for a few months. the The conversation I had with him six months before was. Hey man, you got to call me before you start drinking. I'm not strong enough to help you and stay sober. If you call me and and you're already using. And I told him not to call me and he was dead six months later. It's because he was so isolated. The only thing that he did was sit at home by himself and drink and fell down and hit
0: his head. And now he's dead. I'm I'm sorry to hear that. That's, it's terrible, man. And I know that, a lot of people have been affected by this, but we're, we're getting kind of towards the end of the show. So let's, let's, let's go on kind of a, kind of end on a positive note. What does your life look like now? Like, what are some of the benefits that you have received now that you're sober? Like give us that hope shot, man.
1: So my, my, it took me about two years, two and a half years to, to figure out how to do life sober. Uh, I, I w- I went to one AA meeting and probably it was just the structure of the meeting and maybe I wasn't yet ready for it, but I walked out of there wanting to drink more than I did going in. So I've been, you know, just duct taping everything that's worked for me. I'm not saying I've got to figure it out, but I learned to love myself. And then that brought love into my life. I met my, my fiance now and things are, Great, so much better than I think I deserve. But I know that every day that I'm putting love and light out there in the universe and having these conversations with folks like you, it's making a difference. Like I said, if it's if it's one person redefines a relationship with alcohol, hears this conversation, reads the book, says, Hey, I should probably get some help before I do this, and doesn't die, then we're winning. At the end of the day, it's about love and loving yourself. And and we all deserve that. Every single one of us does, even when it's real dark and and you're using constantly a small part of you loves yourself and it's fighting to keep you alive. And I'm an example for that because I I didn't think I was going to make it out of the ER and I did. And here we are having this conversation six and a half years later.
0: That's awesome. So, kind of in wrapping up, would you mind telling the listeners a little bit more about the book, where they can purchase it at? Uh, if you have any social media accounts where they can follow along on your journey, just tell us more about how we can find out more about JT and, and what you're doing. So, everything is at JT Wahlberg. You
1: punch it into the internet, you'll you'll find my website. Uh, Instagram is where I'm most active, and links through the website through for Amazon. And, uh, uh, Kindle for the ebook, the audiobook will be out, uh, in two weeks. So that was pretty cool. And other than that, that's about it, dude.
0: Awesome, man. I really appreciate it, man. That was a great conversation. I, I love where your heart is, man. Just trying to give back to people, trying to share that message, let people know not only about the dangers of going cold Turkey with alcohol, but you know, just like you were sharing right there at the end, man, just that love and light, man. I I can, I can see it shining through on that webcam, man. Like you're, you're just your presence, man. Just, I can tell the vibe that you're giving off that you, uh, that you really mean it, that you're sincere, that, that, that that really has become your life goal to to help carry that message and to let people know that there's another way. So I appreciate you coming on the show today and, and sharing with the audience what you're doing to help spread that message and, and let us know about the book and, and and those things, man. So thank you again for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me, Brett. I appreciate it. JT, it was an absolute pleasure talking with you today. Glad we connected. Guys, be sure to check out his book, I Forgot to Stay Sober, How I Nearly Died Kicking My Addiction to Alcohol. His links will be in the show notes. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.